The Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone, Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone. This episode of The Zaddy Zone is brought to you by Keon Aminos. Why do I keep harping on about Keon Aminos? Because they're some of the most clean, well-researched, and well-utilized supplements out there. Meaning, 99% of this supplement is used by your body. Essential aminos are named essential because your body doesn't naturally make them. You need to get them dietarily. I take Keon Aminos pre-workout and intra-workout, which is a fancy way of saying during a workout. So if you want to sound cool to your friends, start saying intra-workout. Sometimes I'll take them in the afternoon if I need some clean energy too. Now, if you work out fasted, Keon Aminos are a great way to give your muscles vital energy before getting it in. If you're looking to build muscle, Keon Aminos. Feel vital and energetic, Keon Aminos. This stuff can even fix gut issues. Get Keon Aminos with delicious flavors like berry, lime, mango, and watermelon. Go to getkeon.com forward slash zaddy. That's getkeon, G-E-T-K-I-O-N.com forward slash zaddy, Z-A-D-D-Y for 20% off subscriptions and 10% off one-time orders. That's getkeon.com forward slash zaddy. All the way from Missouri, Dr. Asia Muhammad. Listen, wait, 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 wait. What, what's going on at, in your area right now? You just said that there's a, a car wash or something that was blasting music. <laughs> there's, it's, an, it's a fake car wash. So basically, I, I was like, I, was, I live in the hood. So everybody in the hood, we do our own thing. We have our own vibe going on here. And so there's a guy next door to me. He washes cars for like everybody else that lives in the neighborhood. It's like a car wash, but it's not a real car wash, but you got to pay. So it's a real car wash. And so <laughs> he like washes cars and like he has the music like blasted times 10. And like he's had so many noise disturbances, he doesn't care. And so he literally just finished in time for us to do this interview. And I didn't text him or anything. I just, it just happened. So Wow. That's, that, that's <laughs> Jesus right there. That's why it is. <laughs> I have to ask you about those glasses. What are you wearing there? So these are raw optics. They're just kind of their um, traditional like blockers, like blue light blockers, I guess. So I typically wear these because I'm on my computer all day, every day, making mm-hmm. content, seeing patients and so forth. Yes, exactly. So you're protecting your eyes from consistent blue light, right? Yeah, just light from devices. I try to because I do have really bad eye strain. Like I notice that when I don't wear these, like the next day I wake up and like I do notice the strain in my eyes and I just do notice like a little bit of change in my vision, I think, from the strain that I'm not necessarily aware of while I'm on the devices. But you def- I definitely notice it the next day. So Okay, so you're noticing that these glasses are helping you though, like it's, it's helping the eye strain? Oh, d- 100% for me. Like, and I also know that when I've been on devices for long periods of time, like I'll go out driving somewhere and the street signs are just a little bit more blurry than they usually are. Uh, but when I'm able, when I wear my like glasses and I'm consistent about that, I don't really notice that issue. So I don't know. That's just what I've noticed, but I love that. Well, focus, focus. Well, no, well, who knows? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a lot of things. Let me introduce you. Dr. Asia Muhammad is a naturopathic doctor. She utilizes nutrition, exercise, supplementation through nutraceuticals, botanical medicine, and mind-body therapies such as hypnosis. She has a special interest in gastroenterology, mind-body medicine, and stress management. She also received further training doing a three-year residency at Arizona Digestive Health, where she treated thousands of patients suffering with gastrointestinal disorders. 
Dr. Asia Muhammad, I love your content, uh, but I really want to talk to you today about poo. Um, you love to post about poo. Oh, yeah. And I love yes. to talk about poo. And the reason that I love to talk about poo is because I was brought up in a way that when when I was having, when we'd have dinner at our house and there were even guests over who I wasn't familiar with, all the way up into my adulthood, my mum would stop the dinner and ask, Luke, have you done a poo today, darling? <laughs> he was a nurse and so like poo talk was very very natural <laughs> and normal do you encourage just healthy good poo talk yes I love talking crap it's like my vibe and I tell this story often but when I was like doing my residency I like went on a date with this guy and I was just like talking about my bowel habits and was, I just didn't realize how inappropriate it was. And I'm like, I had the best bowel movement today. It <gasps> wasn't a second date, but I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Like everybody does it. And I just realized that's not appropriate for some like circles, but I have no problem dropping a convert, no pun intended, dropping a conversation about stool. I, I see <laughs> stool and bowel movement. I feel like those words are a little bit, they're uh, maybe abrasive to the ear that's untrained. Bowel, yeah. Like, yeah. Bowel movement today. Everyone's going to be like, what are you talking <laughs> Like, I feel like I, I kind of get it why why he was a little, like, perturbed by that. It was an amazing bowel movement. And I'm like, you don't talk about these things? And I literally feel like when people have amazing bowel movements, they love to talk about that. Do you find that to not be true? I love to talk about it too. Like, you know, those very special, especially those special yes! bowel movements when I call them poos. Those special poos that are like come to Jesus moments where like the heaven exactly. heart and the sunshine yes. you and everything flows. And then you stand up yes. after finishing, have a look at it and go, yes. look at that. <laughs> yes. That's my kind of people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I feel so proud of my body. And I like tell my colon, I say, good job, colon. Like, do you say this to yourself? Do you say good job, gut? I, do, I don't. Say, see, you're such a professional. I just say thank you so much, thank you so much, God, and you say thank you to the all the body parts that are giving it to you. You know? Yeah, I think I learned it from like Joe Dispenza or something. You know, about like kind of giving yourself not about the poop, but just like you know giving yourself the feedback. So I say thank you, gut, for that. You're an amazing gut. I love that. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. I want to ask you about how can we all have a better time on the loo, on the toilet? What should we be eating and drinking? Let's start there. Totally. So when I see folks with chronic constipation, they're not going to the bathroom. I always start with what they're eating, what they're drinking, right? And so I'm wondering, you know, are you getting in enough food that actually contributes to motility or movement in the gut? So that's usually like fibrous components. And a lot of people don't eat enough fiber. I mean, the recommendation in America is like around 25 grams. And like most Americans get like half of that. And then you look at like indigenous populations in Africa, they're eating like 50 grams of fiber a day. Um, so we're, we're like nowhere near that. And we have all these bowel habit issues. I also talk about water or hydration because a lot of folks just don't drink enough water. And we don't realize we're dehydrated. There's not necessarily a specific symptom associated with like dehydration, right? Um, so people don't realize it. And a lot of folks don't drink enough water. And I literally had a girl I saw a few weeks ago for constipation. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's your diet like? So when folks are like, oh, I eat, you know, protein and I eat, you know, veggies and I, you know, have, you know, water. And I'm like, okay, what'd you have for breakfast today? 
And they're always like, oh, but today was different. Today was, I had a, you know, this going on. So today I had to go get fast food. I'm like, yep, that's what you eat. Okay. (laughs) So you have to ask like daily and I'll say, what did you have for dinner last night? And like this girl, she's like pasta, pasta, pasta. And I'm like, nobody loves pasta that much. She's like, yeah, I eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I literally could just eat pasta, pasta, pasta. And she's like, I don't know why I'm constipated. And I was like, girl. Oh, you really are not paying me for this. And she was like, yeah, I am. I was like, okay, well, this is going to be super simple for us. So we just added in more fiber, water. And she hates water. She doesn't drink water. So it's like no fiber and no water. It's like, okay, we're just going to add fiber and water. So that's where I start. I've seen folks who have really bad constipation related to like medication. So I had a case of a woman who didn't go to the bathroom for like 12 weeks. And mm-hmm. then I had someone who didn't go for six weeks. And they were on like pain meds, right? And the number one side effect is they kind of clog you up. Um, so that's the longest I'd seen, but most people are going every three to four days or once a week. I had a girl who only goes when she's on her period. So that's once a month. And outside of that, she's just like, well, I feel fine. So I don't see the issue, but there needs to be more conversation about what's a normal bowel movement. Mm. Yeah. I mean, a few thoughts come to mind when you don't drink water and all you eat is pasta. What, (laughs) what, what is that? Like what happens to the body? I just can't imagine it. Like. The body is so resilient, though. Mm. Our body is so resilient. Like, it will take years of just eating pasta, and you'll go sometimes, but not all the time, not as you should. And then it's not until you're, like, 20, 30 years later that the body's like, oh, we can't do this anymore. It just reminds me of all the fractals that these patterning that we see in nature, that we see in the human body. It's just, like, the purpose is to increase resilience because the human organism, like all organisms, the goal is to survive. So the body can survive a really long time on a really crap diet. Mm. Well, I, this is a, this is the other thing that popped to mind was, have you ever heard about how Elvis died? Yeah, they said he was like full of shadoobi. He was like FOS. He was, he was, he was yeah, he was, he, was, he was doing a poo and had a heart attack and he'd been constipated for, like they said that he had like pounds and pounds of, 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 yeah. of poo like inside him that had just was waiting to come out. And then I heard about his diet because... He was obviously a very Southern guy and he used to do this thing where he'd take a loaf of bread, empty out the middle, stuff in bacon, cook bacon, and then pour in maple syrup. (laughs) What? Can you imagine that? That that was a thing that he ate. He loved to eat that. He did he eat the whole thing in one sitting? Like what was going, like, you know, like a slice of this Um, or just like. Did you you see him at the end? He was like, he loved it. No, I didn't. He probably ate that. Yeah, I'm sure he was full of it. You know, when I saw people who, like, when I see people who go get colonoscopies done, like, the most they lose is, like, five pounds. So, you know, colonoscopy, you get that full clean out the day before. So you literally flush from top to bottom, like, everything out of your GI tract. And so they will be like, oh, yeah, I was like, I lost five pounds. You know, I weighed myself before and after. It's like five pounds of poop just sitting in the gut. So that's the most I've seen. Crazy. And some people claim that there's more. But, I mean, I mean, yeah. That's amazing. Let's talk about how to get more fiber in the diet firstly. What are ways to do that? Is it is it really like vegetables and, and fruit, like making sure that that's at the center of the diet in order to get that fiber? I mean, typically that's what I recommend because those are the more fiber-dense um, foods in our diet. I mean, other things have fiber too, like, you know, legumes and like your beans and mm-hmm. lentils and some like, you know, parts of rice and whatnot. But as far as I'm concerned, like the easier way is kind of like through fruits and vegetables. And I love having people just make a smoothie or do like a smoothie bowl or 
something real simple they can blend up. I'm even a fan of like fiber supplements. I'd rather you get the crap out than keep it in. I really don't care how you get I mean, I care how you get it out, but I, I kind of don't care how you get it out. I'd rather you just get it out. So if you got to eat, you know, fruits and vegetables, great. If you don't really like that, because I have somebody else is like, listen, I just don't like fruits and vegetables. I'm like, listen, I'm not going to, you're a grown adult. I'm not going to argue with you and tell you to eat this. If you don't want to eat it, don't eat it, but take a fiber supplement, get the crap out. So I'll usually recommend fiber supplements. Like, um, and they husk. have to be t- like, are you a fan of silly? Yeah, like, yeah. I love psyllium. I love psyllium husk. It's, there's some really cool studies around psyllium in inflammatory bowel disease, too, and how it's able to reduce inflammation in the gut. And in some studies, it's equivalent to some of the anti inflammatory meds that are used for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. So I love psyllium. It's really cheap, it's really simple. You can find it anywhere. Um, and you typically dose fiber with your meals, um, unless you're doing like a detox protocol. Sometimes when you have like, protocols doctors will recommend to detox environmental chemicals heavy metals and such they'll have you take empty fiber so you're not taking it around a meal because the goal with fiber is to be bound around what you're eating so that what's going in is coming out Mm. i mean if you have bowel issues you don't want to just be taking glasses of you know fiber water it's not really binding anything so i typically say take it around dinner time so that in the next morning you have a nice beautiful stool when you wake up or in the morning sometime that's a great tip. Now, what about um, hydrating? Any tips for hydrating enough so that we don't get constipated? Yeah, drink some water. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so with regard to hydrating, I say um, I typically like to have people drink like the mineral waters or spring waters um, or just add electrolyte powders to your water um, to kind of keep yourself hydrated because sometimes drinking like tons of distilled water can actually be dehydrating because it's not, it doesn't really have the minerals and stuff you find in like typical spring waters. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just water. And then I had this one case of a woman who's like, <laughs> she came to see me because her daughter was like clogging the toilets up at home and she was getting annoyed with the daughter. She's like, listen, her poops are so huge that if we can't even flush our toilet, I have to go in there and chop it up. She's like, and I just am so annoyed with her. And so the daughter, I felt so bad for the daughter. So the daughter's like, I just don't like water and I'm not drinking it. So she ate fiber and everything. So I literally just had her add these like little lemon stevia sticks. I don't even know. They're called true lemon and you get them on Amazon. So I said, look, add these in, drink more water. She added them in. She was drinking way more water. She's going to the bathroom. She, her bowels were happy. Her mom was happy. The plumber did not need to be called. So, you know, just increasing water can make a world of a difference. Yeah. So you kind of what your tip was to her because she didn't like water was to like add some flavoring so that she did hydrate. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. That's really, that's really smart actually. And then there are there any electrolytes that you like tend to recommend? I mean, you know, a lot of questions that I get from people are like, well, how do I do this on a budget, this stuff, especially electrolytes? Yeah. What, what's a good way to people for people to get electrolytes when they're on a budget? I mean, honestly, I like just simple electrolyte tablets or powders. I mean, you can just kind of do certain, like, I really like to have people just say, like, take a bunch of salt and, like, kind of things like that because you just never know what somebody's baseline is. But I would say... If you could just go to like your local, like I think Walgreens and CVS even sell like little electrolyte packets. You can just kind of add that to your water or you can just buy a tub of electrolyte powder from a trusted brand and just dose that in your water. But you don't have to take it with every, you know, bottle of water you drink. But at some point in the day, you do want to add electrolytes in um, into your water. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So um, let's talk about this. How do you, what's the best way to sit when you poop? Ooh, the best way to sit. 
when you poop. Listen to this. This guy was in my Instagram comments and he said, this is how he squats. And I will never get this out of my head. I literally can see him on the toilet. He said, he sits on, he raises the seat up. He sits on the toilet and puts both feet on the toilet as well. So he's like, I don't even know the name of the position. But basically, he's like knees to chest on the toilet bowl with his feet on the toilet bowl. Yes, he's asked. He said it just comes right up. (laughs) So I don't suggest that unless you're super flexible and you want to try it out. Um, But I just say get a squatty potty and just pop, prop your feet up or a little stool. It doesn't have to be a squatty potty, just like Mm -hmm. a little stool to like prop your feet up. It literally will change the angle like of this muscle in your, um, in your like pelvic region. So your stools can kind of just glide out easily and they're not going around a curvature and trying to get out. So that can make a world of a difference. And I remember having women in training when I was in residency who would have to like, um, insert a finger into their like vagina to push the poo out because their kind of muscles start to kind of kind of flex backwards. And so that's an issue you see a lot of times in women, maybe who've had many children or other pelvic floor issues are kind of, there's like a laxity of the muscle. So sometimes the squatty potty, that elevation can help kind of move that colon around so you can have like an easier exit of stool. That's absolutely fascinating. I mean, and what is like, I, I guess that's a, well, what is years? I mean, what is, most of us have been, pooing with our feet flat on the floor just in a normal way for many years can this can this can have a negative effect like can it have a negative effect what can it do yeah i mean you think about going to the bathroom there's a lot of times people strain right so they have that increased intra-abdominal pressure where they're just putting more pressure in their internal abdominal space and that over time straining can affect the musculature can affect the pelvic floor um, it can affect your upper GI tract a lot of folks that I see with excessive upper GI issues acid reflux um, indigestion a lot of them have poor bowel habits and just having all that pressure inside I mean it's got to go somewhere it just doesn't disappear so it's going to go down it's going to go up and so I see issues with upper GI lower GI Um, and then like with regard to just pooing flat, I mean, if you have a diet that's really good and you're going to the bathroom every day and it's like gliding out, you may not use a squatty potty. You may not need a squatty potty, but I find that it's really useful just easing stress and strain on the lower GI tract. Mm. I'm a squatty potty guy. In fact, it got to the point where even when I was going to public bathrooms or, or somebody else's bathroom where I I didn't have my usual squatty potty, I take their little, uh, their little trash bin. And I'd put, really? in, I'd put my legs on that. And so it got to the point where I'd, I'd, wherever I was doing a poo, I'd find an interesting little step up and I'd take a picture of it and send it to friends. Like, <laughs> how far can that. you go to get your knees up? You know what I mean? <laughs> I love that. You yeah. should invent a portable squatty potty that you can just pack away, like one of those little metal things you kind of flip open and it just turns into a it's squatty potty stand. You need to do that. Yeah, it, that's genius, yeah. <laughs> I think we need to go into business together, you and I. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, let's talk a bit. When you say constipation, what do you consider yeah. constipation? Like if somebody hasn't gone in a few days or a week? Mm-hmm. 
Um, constipation is, there is a definition to constipation, but I don't really agree with the definition because the definition is like, oh, three days or more without a bowel movement. It's like, no, you should be going every day, especially if you're eating every day. I mean, that's how the gut works. And if you're not going every day, there could be issues with motility or slowness of the musculature for some reason. But the normal physiological mechanism for pooping is in the morning. So when we sleep, we have that big old rest and digest phase. It's like the eight hours where the gut and the liver can just chill out and do its thing. And all the energy is focused on kind of that like digestive process. Mm. So in the morning, we're supposed to wake up and go to the bathroom. Most people do. I won't say most because I don't know that. But a lot of people do actually go to the bathroom first thing in the morning without coffee, without stimulation. Um, and if you, you know, drink coffee in the morning and go to the bathroom, I think that's totally fine as long as you're getting it out, but that we should be going in the morning. That's like the optimal time for the body. Yeah. And then somebody asked me, is it normal? Like, is there such a thing as people having a slow digestive system and that being part of their nature rather than something that's wrong? Yep. I mean, it could, it could totally be part of someone's nature. I have someone I'm working with now who has like, they call it like a loopy colon. There's a medical name for it, but where the colon is more like um, twisty turny than usual. And sometimes doctors can't even do colonoscopies because there's so many loops and curvature that you can risk perforating or tearing just by trying to maneuver through with the scope. Mm-hmm. So you you can be born with like an extra twisty um, colon and stool. It's just harder to get out. You can also have like just slowness of the nerves there. So the muscles don't squeeze as they should and things aren't exiting as they should. So you can totally have some kind of be born with like digestive insufficiency issues and you don't have good bowel movements from jump. Yeah. Now let's talk about, let's go back to that date you mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast. I want to talk about, you know, let's just say that you went, let, let's just say you went back to his um, and he, and you needed to go and poop. Yeah. Would you go? Uh, yes. Second date. Let's say we're going to specify second date. You go back to his, you need to poo. Would you go? Yeah. Who is he? Well, exactly. I'm, I'm just saying like, would you feel a little bit like, Oh, I don't want to poo here. Cause no, it's... I'm just saying, who is he to my colon? Yes. I'm going to the bathroom. I don't know you. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Like <laughs> The colon comes first. I love that. I love that. Yes. We don't know you. Therefore I'm going to shit in your bathroom. Like, who am I to feel ashamed? Exactly. Like, who are you that I should feel ashamed to go to the bathroom? Now, if this was like God, maybe I'd be like, okay, let me just not go in there and go to his bathroom. But well, then I think he wouldn't care either. Anyway, he's watched them all. Like, anyway, he doesn't care. Exactly. So who am I? This is this person isn't God. I'm going to go to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> well, Okay. So I feel like we need to talk about this because I feel like I know a lot of people who have never pooed at their workplace of like 15 years or never pooed at school or they refuse to poo at their boyfriend's house. Poo shame. What are the bad effects that that can have on us? Poo shame. So, you know, I agree. A lot of people don't go to the bathroom because there is so much shame around having a bowel movement. And so... When you think about like not going to the bathroom for extended periods of time, something that can happen is one, you can change your microbiome and your intestinal tract, right? So you start to create more dysbiosis where you have an imbalance in intestinal bacteria. So that bacterial imbalance can lead to more inflammatory circumstances in the gut that can further contribute to things like leaky gut, which is a big issue now with regard to autoimmunity and all the autoimmunity we're seeing in the world, inflammatory bowel disorders, um, inflammation in the body. We think about also um, immunity. There are studies around constipation and reduced immune function as well. Well, that, that's, that's crazy. This is, this is actually making poo shame into a whole epidemic, really. Yeah. 
<laughs> it really is. And you'd be shocked at how long people can hold their bow. Yeah, because I mean, maybe you would. Well, because you think about in porn, like, I, I don't know why I'm thinking about porn, but you know how they, <laughs> porn yeah. stars can control their ejaculation when it when they do it. Huh. And all that. You know, well, that, that's, that's why they become porn stars. They're clearly very uh-huh. talented people. But like uh-huh. controlling your bowel movement in that way, going, I'm not going to poo right now. I'm going to withhold it and do it later. That is not good. That's not good at all because the body is literally sending you the signal for detoxification and excretion. So when you kind of reduce that, you slowly turn the signal down and down, right? So you're less responsive to your bowels. And I've seen folks who have held their stools for so long that they don't even get the signal to go to the bathroom anymore. Like they just, they will go and sit on the toilet and hope for a bowel movement, but they don't even have an urge to go. They've lost the urgency sensation. Oh, wow. I mean, actually I would, I would miss that feeling. If I never got that feeling again, I would miss that, that feeling. It's yeah. an exciting it's a great moment. feeling. It yeah. is a great feeling. I agree with you. I, I get excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I take my, yeah. I take my phone. I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm just going to go and hang out. <laughs> like it's going to be great. You know? <laughs> I know. And now there's so much, like when people go to the bathroom, I hear people saying like, oh, I have to have my phone. I get anxiety if I can't take my phone in the bathroom and sit on the toilet. It's like, we've made it into a whole thing. It's like, you know how they made, like they classify, um, like what, like Netflix and chill is like this type of like, I don't know if it's like a binge related kind of disorder, but literally phones on the toilet. Now I feel like that's going to be a new categorization in the DSM five, like book of like people being obsessed with like sitting on their phones on the toilet. Well, but I feel like that this is a positive thing, but you can tell me if I'm wrong. I, I've, cause I, I'm now doing, you know, I'm now sitting on the toilet longer than I ever have uh-huh. and really relaxed, happy if it goes longer. So I can just spend more time doing absolutely nothing for a moment. Now, what do you think about that? I mean, I can see it both ways. You know, I can see like, yes, I'm really being present on the toilet and allowing for full elimination. But I also see the other way where we just kind of sit on the toilet longer than we should, right? Where you have that increased kind of downward pressure in the pelvic region, just kind of waiting for a bowel movement, right? So it's like in the long term, are we weakening our pelvic floor Mm. because we are just sitting there for so long, relaxed on the toilet, on the phone? Or maybe not. You know, I don't know what everybody's doing with their muscles when they're on the toilet. Um, but, you know, I would imagine if you're relaxed, the pelvic floor is also relaxed. Well, actually, that brings me to my ne- I, another question, because are you saying that sitting in itself, not even just sitting on the toilet, can weaken the pelvic floor if you sit too much? No, I'm not saying that. You know, when you go to the bathroom and you're like, you have a bad movement, you can actually, you know, control your sphincter, right? Mm. And so I think that when you're in the relaxed phase, like is that anal sphincter, that pelvic floor area, just kind of also getting the signal to just relax also, right? Mm. So is that kind of creating some feedback mechanism where there's not as much strength on the pelvic floor? So that would have to be studied over like time and over years. But I do I've seen a ton of like elderly patients who have terrible ability, inability to control their bowels where they have fecal incontinence and they have episodes where they're going to the bathroom on themselves. And that can be many reasons, but a lot of times there's a weakening of the pelvic floor muscle there um, that you see. So I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of me theorizing onto like, Hey, are we sitting on the toilet too long? Is it should just be like, drop it off and get up. Or is it like, Oh, let's sit here for an hour and like shop and look at our emails and, you know, watch Netflix, you know? Which you can do on your phone now. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I'm theorizing too that I think it's probably good for the bowels that you relax and take your time yeah. rather than heave ho and get out of there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can agree with that, the presence, being present. Okay, good. I, I have a, a bunch of questions from followers. You wouldn't believe uh, I've asked for questions from my followers uh, a couple of times now, but asking them about this, <laughs> talking about poo, I got so many questions. I couldn't believe it. 
So I'm, but I'm going to handle this one at a time. So, okay. and this is a quote from them. This is how they say it. Tips for baddies with IBS. I love it. <laughs> um, one is removing the poop shame, right? Because you see IBS predominant amongst women. And I'm not sure if it's because we have like uterus and, you know, a few other organs happening down there. And we're also ashamed to go to the bathroom because I feel like guys will go anywhere. And I feel like when I've been in clinical practice, I've seen thousands and thousands of cases and men rarely have bowel issues. Like they literally just get up, go to the bathroom. Life is great. And the women are like, I can't poop or I'm pooping too much or I'm so bloated. And my husband just gets up and he goes to the bathroom. Like I heard that over and over. So I think with women, there's a few things, hormonal kind of maybe differences in hormonal regulation. Mm -hmm. I think also, um, just kind of the shame we have and social anxiety around going to the bathroom. So I think, you know, one training, retraining your body to know it's okay to go to the bathroom. And then also being mindful of kind of like dietary tweaks as well. Maybe there's some other underlying issues with IBS. There was a study saying that 60% or more of IBS people actually have SIBO, where there's too much bacteria in the small intestine. So it's not necessarily just a IBS diagnosis of exclusion, there's something else happening. So if you have IBS, Ask your doctor to test you for SIBO. It's a breath test. Okay, wow. Now, what's SIBO short for something? What is it short for? Um, small intestine bacteria overgrowth. Okay, so so kind of what you're saying is that they can be linked, IBS and SIBO. Oh, yeah. A lot of times IBS is SIBO. So IBS is something you get diagnosed with once they've ruled out you know, major disorders. And they'll say, well, we don't know what it is, but you have changes in your bowel habits and some abdominal discomfort. It's IBS. Yeah, so right. So it doesn't really tell you anything, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've always just imagined it to be like um, certain food sensitivities and some people will be like sensitive to lettuce, like, you know, like, you know, anything at all. Do you recommend getting food sensitivity tests? I think that they can be useful. I'm not the biggest fan of them because I just don't find that a lot of them have reproducible results. And so you can have one performed now and then have one performed in a week and a half. And the different foods come up. So you have to be mindful of the type of test you get. You want to get a test that looks at a few different immune markers, not just IgG. So you want to have IgG, IgA, maybe some complement marker thrown in there. So they'll just give you a better snapshot of if a few food is actually contributing to an immune modulating or inflammatory process. Got it. Got it. Okay. Next question from a followers was, why do I feel like I need to poo when I have sex? I think that's a good question that I don't have the answer to. I don't know. You know, I wonder if just kind of increased intra-abdominal pressure is another thing, right? And it just kind of puts a um, pressure on the colon. And that's where you're going to have like stool is like right in that same area where it's about to exit at. So you may actually need to have a bowel movement or maybe stool kind of waiting in there to be excreted. So I would say maybe try to try working on more full, complete bowel movements and seeing if that kind of ameliorates. I mean, it kind of reminds me of what you were saying before about when you were doing your residency and women would use their, like putting a finger uh-huh, in the- Insert their finger, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, what do you think about coffee enemas? I think they're great. Um, I- I, there's a lot of interesting information on coffee enemas. I used to be so obsessed with them when I was in school and like learning about what they were beneficial for in regards to detoxification. But I'm all about enemas, especially when somebody's doing an intensive like detox protocol with like enemas or colonics or saunas. Like it's a great way to just kind of help the liver and then also help your bowels. I did. I used to do them all the time. And um, all I'll say is that you only find out once that you never want it to be too hot. Oh, <laughs> like you only make that mistake once. Wait, you didn't let it cool down? 
I don't want to talk about it. It was a mistake. All right. It was a really bad mistake. Okay. And, and it was a really uncomfortable mistake. And I, we don't have to talk well, about no, it. But I, I, I'm happy to talk about it really, but I do, I, I used to do them all the time. And, um, and, and I tell you what though, like what a coffee high, like it's what great caffeine high. Mm-hmm. It's pretty sensational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, here's another question for you. I use almond milk cause milk made my tummy funny. Now almond milk makes my tummy funny too. Why? Well, the, the a regular milk, the non-nut milk could be due to just like lactose. Maybe you don't have the enzymes to properly digest that milk sugar or something else in the dairy product. Mm-hmm. Almond milk is also processed in its own way. So there could be some compound that's been added to the milk and that could be causing your tummy irritation. So you could just try making your own like homemade almond milk and seeing if that bothers you. And if it does, there could be some constituent in the almond. You might just try switching to a different um, plant milk. That's interesting what you said about milk, about not having the enzymes to properly digest lactose. Um, is there a way to build those enzymes so that you can, you know, eventually start digesting lactose? I'm not sure because a lot of times that's genetic. Um, so is there a way to upregulate those genes? I have no idea, but typically if you don't really have those enzymes, you're going to have issues with digesting lactose. Um, and you see that also with folks who can't tolerate certain vegetables, they just don't have the enzymes in their small intestine, the brush border to, to break things down. So they'll always have issues with certain types of, um, produce or vegetables. But when it comes to lactose in specific, you know, sometimes things like raw milk, which is like kind of gain, like there's a big resurgence around like pasture raised, clean dairy. So sometimes raw milk, you can find that actually will have like lactase enzyme in it and it'll help break down the lactose. So you can maybe try raw milk Mm. and see if that makes a difference for you. Um, And outside of that, you can take like lactose supplements, but I don't really know of a way to increase the production of lactose enzymes. Or lactase. But that's interesting though. I mean, raw milk and I mean, it's kind of a, it'd be almost seen as a fad right now, but raw dairy seems to be making a comeback in a big way. Like I've seen yep. on my dairy, dairy aisle, like raw milk popping up for the first time. I've never seen it before. Really? Uh, is that something that you, do you partake of? I love raw milk, but you can't find it really out here. I mean, I'm sure I can contact some farmers, right. but in terms of the stores, even our whole foods, like they don't have raw milk. Everything is like super pasteurized. Mm um, homogenized. So I can't find it out here, but when I did drink raw milk, um, in Arizona, like I never had a problem with it. I I don't even touch commercial milk in the stores. Like I can't even, I don't even touch those, but I will typically drink like a plant milk or, um, like raw milk if I can't find it, which I haven't lately. So yeah. Interesting. Somebody asked, why can I eat cheese and yogurt, but my gut draws the line at milk and cream. It's just because the cheeses and so yogurts are number one and, and yogurts, cheeses versus milk. They're kind of different in terms of their maturation, right? So how mature they are at their aging process and what's present in them. So you have different or varying concentrations of enzymes and whatnot in dairy that you make versus cheeses. So you may be able to digest aged cheese product, aged dairy product versus like fresh, um, fresh or milk product. So I tip, that's common though. Mm. You see that with a lot of folks. They'll say like, Oh, I can eat cheese just fine, but a cup of milk or ice cream, I cannot do that. Or yogurt is fine with me. So. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the fermentation or the aging yeah. process is what helps the digestion of that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I want to ask you about that. So are you a fan of, you know, sauerkrauts, kimchi, kombucha, 
yogurt. Oh yeah. I used to have my own kombucha and I would give all my friends a layer for their birthday. They thought they were going to get a nice gift card, but they got a layer of SCOBY from me. Happy birthday. <laughs> so they got I love that layer. So yeah, I love like all the fermentation things. You know, I used to work as a scientist in like a couple different labs. So I love kind of experimenting with things. I'm all about the fermentation process. Yeah. Cool. What about sourdough? Are you a fan of that too? Yeah. I love sourdough. I think sourdough bread's great. You know, I think it, it has a l- lower gluten concentration too. So mm-hmm. um, I, I typically, if people are eating bread and they're like, listen, I have no issue with gluten or I don't notice the issue with gluten. I'll say, well, just, just try to switch to like a sourdough or just try to get a bread that's made with like a non-American wheat because American wheat is so freaking hybridized that it's going to have higher gluten concentration. So um, like einkorn, which is like a more ancient wheat mm-hmm. grain, I will have people use that or just some of the other ancient um, grains. I know uh, um, a fancy biohacker, his wife makes um, sourdough, but she brings in the flour from Italy because mm. because of the gluten content or the, the yep. low gluten content of Italian flour and wheat. That's, That's brilliant. Um, I got another question here. My poo floats. Why is that? Um, floating poo can be multifactorial, but a lot of times I see floating poo with people who have a lot of fat in their diet. So you think about if you put like olive oil on water, the oil just kind of sits at the top, right? So if you have a really greasy stool, maybe you didn't have, your your pancreas didn't put out enough enzyme to break the fat down, or it was just too much fat for the body to handle. It's going to just say, get this out of me. It's going to put it in your poo and your stools will float. So I would say take a track back on, you know, what your diet was the day before. And if you like had, you know, a ton of like maybe dairy products, maybe some ice cream, maybe a ton of oily things that could be why you're your poo is floating. Some people say like, oh, it's because I have so much fiber, but I've never actually seen that be the case with regard to like floating stools. Um, but yeah, yeah, oil is typically what I see. I have had in the past, like I think I went through years of having floating stools and that's because I did have a high fat diet. I was kind of doing the keto thing, uh-huh. I was drinking butter in my coffee in the morning. So that all makes sense. And that is no longer the case because I don't drink put butter in my coffee anymore. So that could be, I, I tell you what else I had. I had green poos for a long time because I was taking like spirulina up the wall. Yeah. I was eating so much spirulina, you know? Yeah. I mean, somebody should do like a, you know, an experiment for kids, like all the ways to color your poo and like have them eat beets, have them eat spirulina. I mean, that'd be a cool thing to do. <laughs> um, I want to talk. It's random. I just thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. That's good though. It's educational. I want to talk to you about uh, a little bit about the gut because I hear that it's the second brain and it obviously has a large effect on us, but I don't really know what the gut does. I kind of understand it as a concept or it's just a concept to me. What does the gut do? Oh, this is a good question. So the gut from the top to the bottom, from the ruta to the tuta, it's one long tube. It's all connected. And so the top part is just kind of the mechanical digestion. So your teeth are chewing, your enzymes are helping to break things. The enzymes in your saliva are breaking things down. You swallow your food. The esophagus is like a little muscle tube that squeezes everything down to the stomach. Once it gets into the stomach, the acid there digests and breaks everything apart further. goes into the small intestine, which will just kind of be an area for pulling nutrients across into the body. And then your colon is kind of pulling water out of that and hydrating the body. And then you kind of are left with like a little, well, you're left with a stool, which would be a nice sausage shaped stool. So the point of the gut is number one, digesting food, but a lot of your immune system is also housed in the gut as well. 
And so we see that people who have like autoimmune issues, they have a ton of gut issues as well. Um, your gut is also very important for producing anti-inflammatory chemicals. The bacteria in the gut are important. The gut has been, is correlated to pretty much every organ system that in the body. Yeah, that's interesting what you said about the colon, like that the, the moisture or that your body hydrates itself through the colon. And then you think about people who have digestive mm-hmm. issues, particularly like pooing issues, because they're dehydrated, you know, it's like, well, if you want your, I don't know, there's, there must be a link between those two things, right? Or that is, that is the issue. Yeah. I mean, that's the issue. So if your body's dehydrated, it's like, we're going to, let's see how much water's in the colon. Let's pull it from the colon. And then your stools become little dry, hard rocks, which is why it's important to stay hydrated for the body, but also for your stools. And so, mm. um, hydration is, is just so important when it comes to go, like overall health, but specifically gut health. Yeah. And then, and then what are the, I mean, I, I know that everybody's different, but what are great ways that we can take care of our gut? Yeah. So simple things we can do to take care of our gut. I mean, I love like recommending folks have like probiotic related foods, right? So they can be yogurts. It can be your, mm-hmm. um, sauerkraut. It can be anything like fermented, I mean, even like pickled or fermented okra or cap or fermented onion, kind of making sure you're hydrated. Um, and then also having a diet that's rich in your fruits and vegetables. But then also movement is a good thing too, right? So not necessarily high intensity exercise, but just some type of movement to your abdomen. So you can walk, you can do some light running, um, you can even do abdominal related work. I love castor oil packs, which are really simple way, simple, cheap, just grab a piece of flannel, put a soak it in some castor oil, put it over your abdomen, and then put a hot pack over that. Um, and that kind of just helps increase like circulation in the abdominal area. And lots of folks will go to the bathroom just after doing a castor oil pack, which is an old school naturopathic protocol. Um, so you can do that. Um, let's see. I mean, kind of obvious, the obvious ones like eliminating like processed crap out of the diet, avoiding foods that, you know, bother you. Mm. Um, but those are the really simple things. And then supplements can be really helpful too, um, depending on what you got going on. Yeah. And then like, um, what about like yogurt that's, you know, flavored and sugary? Is that still okay? Or does that kind of cancel out the good probiotics in a way? It's like toxic waste, right? I had this friend who would always say like, we would, when we were in school, like, oh, let's go to Waffle House. It's like, oh, that's toxic waste. That's toxic waste. And when you said that, that's all I saw was him in Waffle House. So yeah, toxic waste. So those sugary flavored colored yogurts. Yeah, I mean, they don't necessarily cancel out the, well, I guess they would. I would say they would neutralize the effects of the probiotics because sugars themselves feed specific bacterial families in the gut um, that can can be problematic or overgrown. We know when you have somebody has C. diff infection, like sugar, C. diff bacteria will proliferate on sugar. And so some things you do want to keep out of the diet. So yeah, I think that the less sugar in yogurt or prebiotic probiotic foods, the better. Mm, Got it. Let's talk a little bit about the liver. Because um, I, well, recently I've stopped drinking, uh, not completely, just a little bit. I, I was, I, I, about one time a week I'd go and I'd go hard and I'd drink until I was hammered and I, and I absolutely loved it. I'd get, the yeah. itch, I'd get the itch to do it. I was like, oh gosh, I got to go and let loose. And so I'd go uh-huh. ahead and do it. Let's talk about, about, about the liver, about how we mm-hmm. can take care of our liver. What does the liver firstly do? The liver does so many things. Like it has so many jobs. 
it obviously detoxification, the one we all know about, but the liver also makes proteins that carry things around in our bloodstream. Mm. The liver is responsible for breaking down our hormones. The liver is responsible for um, producing our bile acid, which are bile acids. It's like a liquid that's released into the intestinal tract and it helps to clean up bacteria in the gut. Bile helps to break down fat in the gut. I mean, there's so many associations with liver health and gut health. Um, the liver is responsible for a lot of our energy metabolism, fat metabolism, kind of converting things and learning and storing them or telling them where to go. I mean, the liver has literally like so many functions that um, it's not just detoxification. And the size of the liver kind of speaks to its importance, right? It's like the biggest organ in our body, right? And so you, it's it's a, the most dense organ as well. It's literally like just, well, I had I ate liver last night for dinner, actually. Um, I was going to say it's like the dinner I had, but like nobody knows that. But anyways, <laughs> so it's, it's a really dense organ and it has an intense amount of functionality in the body. I love to eat liver too. So you're a fan of eating liver. I'm actually not a fan of it, oh. but um, I had some because <laughs> it tastes disgusting. Um, but I know it's, you know, nutrient dense. So I had some last night. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll eat it if I know it's good for me. I just, you know. No, that Just to clarify, I'm the same. I don't think oh, it okay. tastes good. I think it tastes like the butthole, but I yeah. still like, you know, I still know it's so good for me that I, I get through it. Exactly. Exactly. Same. Same. What are, what are ways? What are ways that we can like? Okay, so if I'm coming into a big weekend that I know, like we're gonna have, I'm gonna have a couple of parties. There's gonna be junk yeah. food. What are ways that we can support our liver at around those moments? Yeah, there's some really cool studies around plants that will reduce the amount of damage from like alcohol and like toxic crap we're putting in our body. So pomegranate is a really big one. So in this animal study, when they pre-treated these animals with pomegranate juice, there was significantly less damage to the liver after they gave them alcohol and to the pancreas as well. Also, oats are a good thing as well to help with like pre-treatment of the liver pancreas region. So when they kind of gave these animals oat, they also noticed that they had less damage to the liver compared to like the animals that weren't giving oats, given oats, but given the same amount of alcohol. So, you know, have some oatmeal and some pomegranate juice before you go to the party or tell them to stock some oatmeal and pomegranate there, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I actually, I, I read a post of yours that said something about pith, the pith in fruits. Like the yeah. The bio, the, the pith of the fruit pretty much contains a lot of your bioflavonoids, which are like those really potent plant compounds. So the meat of the orange or the citrus fruit, they're not really rich in like your bioflavonoids that you kind of look for with regard to these anti-aging and gene regulation properties, it's that white part that has all these bioflavonoids. So, you know, throw some of that in your oatmeal too. Throw some pomegranate in there, throw some orange pith. It sounds disgusting, but it'd be great for your, you know, your liver if you're trying to like, you know, reduce the damage. That All this stuff is uh, so good to know. It really is. But um, Asia, we've come to the end of our time. You're an absolute legend. I should call you Dr. Asia. I did not mean any disrespect. It's fine. It's okay. You're totally fine. <laughs> How can we find you and support you? Totally. So I'm pretty much just on IG. Um, I have a really small practice and I, you know, I love like working with like chronic refractory cases, those kind of stuck people. And I'm not saying I can figure it out, but it's just interesting to me to kind of see what we can add. Um, so mm -hmm. Instagram, doctor.asiamohammed. And then I have an email list you can subscribe to. Um, it's on my website and it's also linked in my Instagram. My website is just Okay, great. Asia I'll link to that as well. Sorry, just say that. I think I just accidentally spoke over you. Say that website one more. Yeah, it's just asiamohammed.com. So www.asiamohammed.com. Okay, perfect. And like, why not TikTok? You don't want to do TikTok? I mean, honestly, I'm just so overwhelmed with the world we live in. It's like, I don't know how much time is that going to take? You know what I mean? I'm already distracted enough on Instagram. 
Well, okay. So the the uh, just like doesn't we, we can talk about this. So you just take those great little bits that you do, uh, the reels that you do, and just throw it on TikTok. The 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 issue with part of what you, what you're doing is um the great stuff that you do on IG, which is where you flick through and you give all those in, uh, these information yeah. that written down. That obviously won't translate to TikTok. Okay. Take all the reels that you've already made where you speak to camera with this, those captions that are awesome. Put them on TikTok. You don't have to spend any time on there. However, when you do, you'll see how much fun it is and you probably will never get oh, off. Lord. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, great. I'll start that. I'm going to start a TikTok then. I, I, think it'd, I think it'd be great for you. I think what you're doing is already great for it. So I recommend okay. it. Cool beans. You're a legend. Thanks so much, Dr. Asia Muhammad, and we'll uh, be following you on Insta. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. See you, love. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Zaddy Zone. If you found this useful slash enjoyable, go ahead and hit subscribe and then feel free to share it with your friends and rate it, but only rate it if you're going to rate it five stars. Deal? Love you.